My sister and I grew up in suburban Chicago, and within about 30 to 40 minutes of our house, there were four malls, one of which was one of the largest in the United States at the time. of your favorite stores. Spectacular selection. Exceptional service. Exciting fashion. For you, your family, and your lifestyle. At Woodfield. We have it all. At one time, malls were really social gathering spots, especially for middle school and high school-aged kids. And malls being a hotbed of social activity wasn't just limited to the Chicago suburbs. This was all over the country. When we were little kids, my mom would often take us to a mall nearby for something to do, maybe on a rainy day. We'd get popcorn from the weird Gypsy Wagon popcorn place, or a cookie from Mrs. Fields Cookies. This was long before there were food courts. As we got older and went out alone with our friends, our mom would drop us off for a few hours at the local mall to meet up with friends and putz around. There really weren't any mountains to hike near where we lived or single-track mountain bike paths to ride, but let me just tell you, there were many, many places to shop. As a matter of fact, one of the largest outlet malls of all time opened up about an hour or so from our house, Gurney Mills, which has nearly 2 million square feet of retail space. That's right, you heard me, not 20,000 not 200,000, 2 million. Needless to say, going to the mall was certainly a favorite pastime of me and my sister's childhood and adolescence, and it's something we reminisced about a lot as adults. With that being said, on today's show, we'll be discussing the extinct retail stores that could be found all over the country, with a focus on the mid-best, of course, during the 1980s and 1990s. This was the true heyday of when me and my sister could be found roaming the laminate tile of yesteryear and rolling around in the cesspool that was the carpeted circle opening at the children's place. Which, in hindsight, anything that is carpeted and used hundreds of times a day by children was probably covered in bodily fluids, but perhaps that's why I had such a strong immune system as a child. I had a very, very mild case of the chickenpox. Anyways, on today's show, you will learn the backstory behind some of the most famous but long-gone mall stores, as well as what led to the said store's demise. So, put your ponytail in a scrunchie, pull on your stonewashed jeans, and scrunch your socks. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, a show inspired by, and in memory of, my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 25, the extinct stores and fashions that were found in malls towards the end of the 20th century. In the 1980s and 1990s, we were apparently terrified that our clothes would bunch up or fly off, hence why we wore sleeveless denim shirts that snapped at the crotch like a baby's onesie. 
And perhaps we paired that with stirrup pants, which were essentially stretch pants with a strap at the bottom to put under your foot to keep the pant legs in place. Because, you know, that was always such an issue. When I think back to my childhood and early adolescence, the stores that me and my sister frequented often come to mind, as well as the horrible apparel that could be found there. What follows is a bit of a rundown on some well-known stores, which were often visited by yours truly or my sister, or were at least popular at the peak of mall shopping in the 1990s. We will focus on primarily clothing or apparel stores, but there will be some others sprinkled in as well. Let's do this. We begin our journey with the two most popular mall bookstore chains, B. Dalton and Walden Books, where you could try and convince your mom to buy you a Saved by the Bell chapter book, True Story or one of those headache-inducing magic eye books. The B. Dalton bookstore was founded in 1966 by Bryce Dalton. His family owned a department store chain called Dalton's, which was based in Minnesota. At one time, there were almost 800 locations. Eventually, B. Dalton merged with Barnes & Noble, which happened in 1987. They operated all of those stores until 2009. But by 2010 they liquidated the last 50 stores. However, during its many decades in business, B. Dalton competed with Walden Books, which I think was located next to the McDonald's in the mall that we used to go to. Anyways, Walden Books started in 1933 inside of a department store in Connecticut by two men named Lawrence Hoyt and Melvin T. Kafka. They thought maybe having some books to look at while shopping in the department store would help people cope with the Great Depression. At first, the books were just to borrow for three cents a day. The first Walden Books opened in Pittsburgh in the 60s. From there, the chain really started to grow, and after 15 years, there were 250 chains all over the U.S. Kmart purchased the book chain in 1984. During the 1980s, Walden Books was the largest bookseller in the United States. I didn't realize this, but Walden Books also had a software and video chain as well as a toy chain. Eventually, Walden Books merged with Borders. However, in 2010, about 200 stores closed, and by 2011, liquidation began, and pun intended, the last page was turned, and the book was closed on Walden Books forever. Enough about books. Let's talk clothes. The Limited was a company that was started by Leslie Wexner. He borrowed some money from his aunt and the bank and opened a store called The Limited and aimed to sell clothes to younger women. The retail stores were in operation from 1963 through to 2017. The Limited sold mainly kind of business, casual-type clothing and accessories like socks, necklaces, sunglasses, etc. During the company's run, they acquired Victoria's Secret, Lane Bryant, and Abercrombie & Fitch, among others. In 2017, all of the retail stores closed and the company filed for bankruptcy, which you'll be hearing the word bankruptcy about 100 times in the show. Anyways... However, the company was bought out and you can still find limited merchandise online. Without the physical stores, though, your options to find their apparel is, well, limited. Limited 2 was aimed at tweens and opened in 1987 as the younger sister store to the Limited. My sister was a huge fan of this store. I kind of attempted to be, but I never dressed very girly. We always had our picture taken on our first day of school, and one year I was convinced to wear something from the Limited 2, and uh, me and my sister are rocking some matching outfits on that day. My sister actually modeled at one point for the store. 
She stood in the windows facing mall traffic, showing off some different clothing and I think kind of pretending she was a mannequin, which was kind of awkward. But she really enjoyed doing that and got to do it with a friend of hers. I thought that was, uh, at the time, I thought that was pretty cool. Which again, just solidified that she was cooler than me and also brushed her hair, which I didn't do. Limited to had more of a prep type look, if you will, to its apparel like knee length plaid shorts, wide striped shirts, etc. All locations were rebranded as Justice Stores in 2005. The quality definitely took a dip, as to the prices, and all of the locations are actually slated to close by early this year. According to the Justice website, they said, quote, This is the start of something good. As we enter an exciting new chapter for the Justice brand, we want you to know that we're still here for you and your girls. Follow us on social, which could you be a little more specific, to stay engaged and up-to-date on all things justice. Amazing new things are coming soon. Are they? I don't think so. Doesn't sound like it. Anyways, Esprit. The Esprit brand origins go back prior to being in malls. The clothing was originally sold out of a VW bus in the 1970s. All they had was a bus and clothes and a dream. In the 1980s and 1990s, they had stores all over the United States. I remember having a red Esprit sweatshirt and my sister had a white one. She also had an oversized light canvas bag that she used for school that had Esprit on it. I think it was black. Esprit stopped selling apparel in the United States in 2012. However, there are still locations abroad. Gadzooks was founded in 1983 in Texas as a t-shirt shop. Eventually, they expanded, and they had almost 200 stores by the mid-1990s. Stores were aimed at teenagers and included apparel and accessories like graphic tees, belts, and earrings. They also sold Doc Martens, which were huge at the time. I had several pairs. Calvin Klein and Oakley branded merchandise. You could also purchase the infamous Jinko jeans here. And if you are not familiar with Jinko jeans, please look them up. J-N-C-O. The most ridiculous, baggy, huge, not you can't even call them bell bottoms because they were so humongous and so wide-legged. They were awful. But at the time, everybody thought they were awesome. There's a meme that kind of made its way around a little bit ago, and it says, Meanwhile, back in the 90s, and there's a person wearing Jinko jeans walking through puddles, and the back of their pant leg is completely soaked. Because Jinko jeans were stupid. Anyways, each store had a VW Beetle inside and played music videos on TVs that were spread out throughout the store. Gadzooks actually focused a lot on customer service and treated their teenage customers like adults, not troublemakers. Store employees and managers were typically under the age of 21 and were also promoted a lot from within. The store faced some controversy, though, in the early 2000s for their controversial advertisements where they made statements like, Stop equality and proud to be sexist. I'm sure that did not go over well. Gadzooks was purchased by Forever 21 in 2005 and is essentially considered defunct at this point. KB Toys was started by the Kaufman Brothers, get it, Kaufman Brothers, KB, in 1922. Originally, it was a wholesale candy store which opened in Massachusetts. Allegedly, due to candy shortages during the war, they switched their focus to toys. And I always remember KB Toys always had toys out on tables in front of the store to entice people to come in and for kids to play with them and get their germs all over the toys and sneeze on them. 
It's a good way to lure people in. Definitely worked for me. KB Toys filed for bankruptcy, sadly, in 2008, and all assets were sold to Toys R Us. And we know how that story ends. Rave was a clothing store, and it was originally called Rave for Real. With the number four, Rave for Real. Here you could purchase V-necks, animal printed shirts, denim skirts, and other lower priced fashion items. Limited information about the store is available, but I distinctly remember the iconic neon sign found on the entrance of the store. Despite the limited information available, I think just learning that it was originally called Rave for Real made the research for this whole show worth it. Are you for real? No, I'm rave for real. 579 was a clothing store, once again, geared toward teenage girls who were on a budget and who also had uh, smaller waistlines. The store was owned by the Edison Brothers between 1970 and 1999, but they eventually went bankrupt and sold off the stores. It does appear that there may be a 579 store or two left in the U.S., in the Midwest, of course, and the brand carries on in Puerto Rico. Do they call the store Cinco Siete Nueve? And that, my friends, is all that I remember from two years of high school Spanish. Anyways, 579 has a sister store called Rainbow, which sells clothing online and also in standalone stores in places like New York. Delia's was a clothing and accessory company for tween-slash-teenage girls that was started in 1993 by two Yale graduates. When it started in 1993, it was just a catalog company. And man, the excitement that I had when that came in the mail was palatable. Eventually, the company opened over 100 physical store locations. At the height of its popularity, it seemed like the fashions were influenced by people like Gwen Stefani or perhaps Fergie in the early days of the Black Eyed Peas. At Delia's, you could find things like carpenter pants cut for women, chunky necklaces, black-heeled shoes, beanies, baggy sweaters with stripes on them, and other things to make you look like a punk rock singer or a skateboarder, both of which you were not. At one point, my sister and I got to order a few things from the catalog. I got a sky-blue shirt with an old-school roller skate on it, as well as green cargo pants. They were some of my most coveted items in my closet in middle school. Sadly, the company filed for, drumroll please, bankruptcy in 2014, and all the stores closed. Surprisingly, you can still purchase Delia's items on Amazon. Merry-Go-Round was founded by Leonard Wineglass and Harold Goldsmith in 1968. It began as a women's clothing store in the 1970s. They started by selling jeans. Eventually, it evolved into selling men's clothes as well and made sure to sell fashion fads aimed at both men and women. As an example, in the 1970s, they sold three-piece polyester suits, which were made popular by the film Saturday Night Fever. In the 1980s, you could purchase Michael Jackson's thriller jacket knockoffs at Merry-Go-Round, as well as other apparel you could wear out dancing. They had some pretty memorable commercials as well.
They became very famous for their Cavaricci pants, which were tight and high-waisted pants with several buttons and extra flaps on the top, pleats, and wide legs, and then narrow ankles. It was a wonderful combination. I don't remember my dad ever wearing Cavaricci pants, but I'm pretty sure my mom wore Cavaricci-adjacent pants. You can find a lot of old-school Cavaricci pants for sale on eBay. I'm not kidding. Apparently, there is a market for that. It's interesting. The company was an early investor in Bugle Boy, which was primarily a denim company that was started in 1977 by a Chinese engineer. I owned a couple of Bugle Boy outfits, I think. And they went, you guessed it, bankrupt in 2001. Mary Goran was once the leading retailer of men and women's clothing between the ages of 15 to 35. In the 1990s, Mary Goran was responsible for the creation of the IOU brand, which was subject to a lot of counterfeiting, apparently. IOU was known for their sweatshirts that sort of had a collegiate feel to them. For example, on one black sweatshirt, it said, Authentic American Tradition in bold letters surrounding a crest that said IOU. Harvard University crest? No, the IOU crest. They also sold bum equipment apparel, and allegedly that didn't stand for anything, but rumors often swirled that it stood for body under maintenance or basic urban merchandise. They also got into the high-waisted mom jeans look with the high-waisted, tight-thighed, light-wash jeans, which could be paired with a chunky black belt, a solid-colored cotton shirt, and a plaid flannel. You could also get a red, green, yellow, or orange denim jacket with matching pants. Sort of like a denim tuxedo, if you will. Further, you could get a paisley vest or a vest with matching pants. I think the pop group and one-hit wonders Color Me Bad, bad being spelled with two Ds, shopped here. The company went bankrupt, that's right, in 1996 and closed 536 stores. Its demise came about because merry-go-round pushed hip-hop clothing in the early 1990s when many other clothing stores were pushing the grunge look, which sold better at the time. Or maybe it was because they sold a line of clothing called Skids, which had a logo on it with a car sliding around like the standard street sign. Lame logo, for one, and Skids is a word too often used by parents with young children who are potty training. That's just gross. I won't add any more to that because it's just disgusting. There are actually Facebook groups dedicated to the stores where many a former employee can connect with their long-lost co-workers. One person posted a link to music that was played in the store on a loop in the early 1990s. Spoiler alert, the music sucks. Excuse me? Can you please help me find something? Oh, God, finally. Do you have any MC Hammer genie pants or... Some skids clothes, or maybe a matching denim suit? Thanks. County Seat was probably my sister's favorite store in the 1990s. It first opened in Dallas, Texas in the 1970s, and like so many mid-to-late 20th century stores, it started by selling jeans. In 1983, it was purchased by Carson Peary Scott. It was eventually revamped to target high school students. Here you could purchase Southwestern-inspired apparel like denim onesies, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, knitted vests with Southwestern colors like pink, tan, teal, and navy blue. You could also get bold-colored vertically striped shorts, perhaps, with evergreen blue and white-colored stripes. 
Or if you are feeling like really standing out, perhaps you would want to purchase jeans with large purple, red, yellow, and green patches on the back. For the guys, one could purchase a rugby shirt with a denim collar or a bold colored sweater. The company filed for bankruptcy in 1996 and again in 1999, and soon after, they were gone forever. In case you were in need of shoes in the 1980s or 1990s, there were a few places to visit on a trip to your local shopping mall. First, there was Kinney Shoes. They manufactured shoes from 1894 until 1998. The company was started by George Romanta Kinney. He wanted to sell reasonably priced shoes to working Americans. During the 1930s, Kinney Shoes was the largest retailer of shoes in the United States. The company was sold to Woolworth in 1963. In 1998, the successor to the Woolworth company closed all of the remaining Kinney locations. Atomic Ann was founded in 1922 in Worcester, Massachusetts. As more and more malls were built in the 60s and 70s, the company grew immensely. The company was created by J.F. McElwain and Frank Melville. Contrary to popular belief, there's actually no real Atomic Ann. God, that's so sad. I know that kept up a lot of people at night pondering who the heck this Tom McCann guy was and why are his shoes so awesome. Well, newsflash, he ain't real. He ain't real. He's not even rave for real. I love Tom McCann, though, because they sold Eastland shoes, which were pretty popular in the 80s and 90s. I loved the Falmouth Camp women's moccasins, which aren't moccasins, of course, but are brown leather shoes with tan and beige shoelaces. I think I owned at least two pairs. And good news, Eastland is still in business, and they still make those shoes all of these years later. I may need to get myself a pair. I'm not kidding. And just like merry-go-round, they also had some pretty memorable commercials. You can search the countryside high and low. You can sail to every foreign port. But you'll never, never find a better pair of leather shoes for the money than you will at Tom again. Even if you fly to places that can't be found on a map. Today, it's Tom again. As time moved on and shoe stores became more diverse, Tom again became less and less popular. In some commercials, they actually poked fun at themselves for being a bit dated. Unfortunately, this tactic did not work, and by 1997, all Tomic Ann locations shifted to foot action, and that company is actually still in business. If you are a huge fan of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, or Elmer Fudd, which I wasn't because I'm just pure Disney, you may have wanted to check out the Warner Brothers store. The Warner Brothers stores opened in 1991. It was the go-to stores for the Warner Brothers fan, where you could get a Warner Brothers Letterman jacket, a Looney Tunes sweatshirt, or maybe a Yosemite Sam coffee mug. It had 130 shops at its peak. Its first location was in Los Angeles. There were also international locations. At one time, they had a 40,000 square foot store in Times Square in New York. There was actually a store at the World Trade Center in New York. It was uh, sadly destroyed in the September 11th attacks. The last of the stores closed in December of 2001, and some international locations lasted a few years longer. That's all, folks. That was bad. Uh, You can still purchase Warner Brothers merchandise online. Ah, wicks and sticks. 
If you wanted to freshen up the scent of your home, you could swing by Wicks and Sticks. Oh, excuse me, Wicks and Sticks. That's right, Wicks and Sticks. The store started in Texas in 1968 and grew to over a dozen locations by the early 1970s. Eventually, they expanded to sell more than just Wicks and Sticks. They also sold Christmas ornaments, calendars, and the like. Citing competition from other stores, the final Wicks and Sticks location in Florida closed in 2016. Contempo Casuals. This company was founded in the 1960s and was, again, geared toward young women. Are there stores for anybody else? Jeez. Anyways, it became more and more popular in the 1980s and 1990s. It's kind of infamous for being referenced in the film Clueless. And I'm sure most people who are listening to this show have seen Clueless. But if you haven't, and if you're into pop culture from the 1990s, you have to watch that film. It's a comedy. It's outstanding. In 1996 they made an unsuccessful attempt to purchase County Seat. 90s drama! Eventually, the company was called just Contempo, and uh, I don't know if other people did this, but my friends and I, and I think my sister too, all called it Contrampo, because the store had a lot of, uh, you know, tight-fitting, low-cut clothing that seemed a bit inappropriate for teenagers at the time. The company came under some scrutiny for their alleged racism aimed at African-Americans or black employees that didn't quite fit their, quote, look, and it resulted in a multi-million dollar settlement, I think. In 2001, the stores were all converted to Wet Seal, which is a horrible name for a store, I think. They should have asked me first. In 2017, all physical Wet Seal clothing stores were closed and liquidated, but you can still purchase merchandise online. Peace, Serenity, The Nature Company. The Nature Company was founded in 1972 by Priscilla and Tom Robel. The first store opened in Berkeley, California, and eventually they had stores in Canada and the United Kingdom. The store branched off into Natural Wonders as well. Those operated from 1986 to 2004. The exterior and interior of the Nature Company's stores were pretty elaborate. The entryway was framed with multicolored slate tile And said entryway was really my mom's symbolic portal into heaven. I know my sister would agree with me. My mom loved that store. The interior of the stores had custom cabinetry surrounding the perimeter with the merchandise inside, such as gemstones, maps, fossils, nature CDs. I mean, who didn't love listening to thunder and rain music or the sounds of a rushing waterfall with a pan flute playing in the background? You could also purchase telescopes here. How many stores do I need to go to in this godforsaken mall to find a good telescope? Ooh, the nature company. Perfect. Anytime we went to the Oak Brook Mall, which I believe is the location that we lived closest to, my mom insisted we stop there. Her love and appreciation of nature definitely rubbed off on me, but not so much on my sister. Anyways, eventually all the nature company stores would be purchased by the Discovery Channel for $40 million. They were all converted into Discovery Channel stores, which sold relatively similar items. And so, by 2001, there were no more Nature Company stores to be found. When my mom walked past the shuttered Nature Company store at our local mall, she fell to her knees, and while quietly sobbing to herself, she looked at the sky and shouted, Why, God, why? Okay, none of that happened, but my sister and I always loved throwing our beloved parents under the bus. And I still do it all the time. On a discussion forum that started well after the stores closed, someone said, quote, I knew I should have bought that rain stick. 
I couldn't agree more. The Discovery Channel stores were in operation from 1996 to 2007. Apparently, there was nothing left to discover at their stores. That was bad. There are just so many mall store jokes to make, but we only have so much time. I hope you've enjoyed this look back at some of the extinct mall stores from the 1980s and the 1990s. And believe me when I say, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Sadly, I know this list will just get longer as the pandemic changes the landscape of shopping in America and abroad, I am sure. If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever platform you use. Please also rate the show as it helps direct more listeners to this show. You can contact me anytime. My email address is popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at popcultureretro. And I'm also on Instagram, popcultureretrospective. I hope you'll join me for my next show where we will continue our discussion about extinct retail stores, because I just, I don't know, love this stuff for some reason. But this time we will focus on the department stores of yesteryear. Does anyone remember eating Frango Mints from Marshall Fields or shopping for a prom dress at Carson's? Because I sure do. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.